there, and welcome to episode two of Disrupt Podcast's dedicated series on African e-health, brought to you in partnership with Salient Advisory, Curacell, and RxAll. Last week, we discussed the major challenges around healthcare delivery in Africa, and how health tech startups are going about addressing those challenges. Today, we'll move on to how we can best support these companies, and what's needed from governments, investors, and donors to ensure they can scale their impact. Hope you enjoy it. Africa ranks extremely poorly for many healthcare indicators. With major access, affordability and quality challenges, there are especially pronounced in rural and remote areas. Tech-enabled solutions hold many of the solutions to these challenges. Yet until 2020, the sector was somewhat of a slow-burning one. Technology is the thing that we have to leverage to leapfrog several challenges. And so as we see with, you know, telemedicine companies, for example, which have really come in stream over the past um, two to three years, um, actually more accurately over the past five or so years, but really peaked amid the pandemic in 2020, you're seeing situations where, you know, someone in the community that doesn't have, you know, steady access to a doctor or a physician can leverage a mobile phone, get consultations done with a physician, um, in some cases, leveraging AI tools and technology, get diagnostics done as well, or in some cases, leveraging um, you know, innovators that offer home-based lab testing, get samples collected at home, get those um, run at a, at, a, at a laboratory and get the results interpreted and delivered and passed on to a doctor, and then ultimately get medications prescribed. That's, that's an incredible level of access compared to what the status quo would be if, you know, you didn't have all of that technological infrastructure to make that happen. That's Yomi Kazim, Engagement Manager at Salient Advisory, a global healthcare advisory firm that particularly focuses on helping healthcare stakeholders understand the biggest trends in African health and tech ecosystems. Its yearly market intelligence report is a crucial piece of work that helps inform key decisions on how to effectively engage with the leading healthcare startups on the continent. Yomi says tech can be a game changer for healthcare in Africa. When there's this level of increased access facilitated by technology, lives can only get better. So it's it's incredibly important. Um, and I couldn't, I really couldn't st- stress or overestimate, and I don't think anybody can, um, the importance of these solutions, particularly within the context of, of rural communities. It's not just the technological aspect of the solutions that can be so impactful, but also the entrepreneurial spirit that's driving it. This is Adebayo Alonge, founder and CEO at RxAll a Nigerian startup that's building digital commerce infrastructure for independent pharmacies and related businesses. When you talk about the factors of production in the standard economic text, right, they talk about capital, labor, land. Um, but I think one of the key pieces that is often overlooked is the person, the entrepreneur himself, because he's the one who is able to uh, identify what that problem is and pull together all the other factors of production, including himself, to try to solve that problem. And that sort of problem solving behavior is it's more likely to be found in the entrepreneurial class than in the public class or in the public government class. Um, so uh, entrepreneurship is very important to solving problems um, in healthcare. Um, some of these problems usually tend to be overlooked if they're not affecting um, the elite or um, they're happening in uh, communities that are oppressed or overlooked, you know, and these are areas where entrepreneurs can step in 
and so forth. Like if you look at the fintech space, right, a lot of the innovation that you're seeing there is actually entrepreneurs solving for problems faced by groups of people that have been overlooked by traditional finance, either because they are too distant or they're too um, tiny uh, or unprofitable to serve. It's the same way in healthcare, right? So you find out like um, the two top tier levels of healthcare, you have the sort of government and the government usually starts from a tier three, like a general hospital all the way to a teaching hospital. Um, And then you now have the premium hospitals um, that are expensive and out of reach um, to most of the citizens and are sort of catering to the elite and the foreign worker class. So uh, at the end of the day, who is solving for problems faced by the vast majority of Africans who are indeed poor, right? And so that's where um, healthcare entrepreneurs come in. That's where you have them setting up pharmacy stores, um, setting up um, um, urgent care hospital facilities uh, that you can walk in and get care uh, very easily um, for a fee for sure. So um, that's where the entrepreneurial class comes in. For all their potential, African e-health startups are operating in a nascent ecosystem and in healthcare, one that's subject to serious levels of regulation that vary in scope and substance from market to market. Startups need to work with these regulators in order to succeed. With regard to, you know, most businesses, uh, scaling to, to, to an appropriate level within first your primary market and then going beyond that to a secondary market is, is pretty much the dream of all businesses, but it's hardly ever straightforward. In terms of what we're seeing with regard to supply chain um, startups, um, 81% of the companies that we tracked in our, in our research this year operate in a single country. And so that clearly tells you that multi-country operations are, are limited. But one reason they're limited is because Broadly looking at the ecosystem, even though there are a few key companies that have grown really quickly and really fast, like um, say M Pharma, for example, broadly the ecosystem itself is still largely nascent. One of the reasons we, we think this is the case, um, and it's 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 a it's a problem that we're actively working on um, with regard to other projects as well, you know, um, within selling advisory is the fact that there's an uncertain level of regulatory environments across the board. So if you're operating in Kenya um, as a telemedicine company or as an online pharmacy operator, that's going to look very differently as to say if you're operating in Cote d'Ivoire or Senegal or in Kenya, um, because the regulatory environments, you know, differ significantly. And, you know, with regard to health businesses, health as an industry is always pretty tightly regulated as it should be. Um, but, but one message and we're advocating for, as I said, we're actively working on, um, is it is basically getting the, the, the regulatory agencies to come together first to figure out how if possible, and how these standards can be harmonized to ensure that um, it's easier for you know businesses to expand to, to, to multiple countries. But beyond that, also as well, to first understand the level of innovation that's happening, um, to be aware of that so they can put together um, more innovation-friendly policies, if you'd like, while, of course, up, um, upholding significant standards. Indeed, the team at Salient Advisory has been working with regulators from 12 African countries to guide them on effective regulation for the health tech ecosystem and ensure those regulations are harmonized. That would essentially ensure that it's, it's I don't want to use the word easier because it's never an easy thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's basically more feasible, I would say, 
for an online pharmacy operator that's showing great promise and has achieved skill in one key market to be able to take those learnings and apply it in another key market. Um, when we think about companies expanding, we usually think of it within the context of the benefits of the company. They can access a larger market. They can possibly make more money or generate more revenue. But there also are benefits to the, to the market itself, which is if a company has succeeded you know, with a particular model in this market, which is translated into positive health outcomes, those benefits can possibly be translated to the new market itself as well. So it's not always about the benefits that the companies when we talk about expansion. It's also about the benefits to the markets as well. And, and you know, again, a case in point here uh, could be M Pharma. We, we started in Ghana, but now operating in as many as eight African countries and doing a lot of great things in multiple markets at the same time. Expansion is not yet happening and scaling will be hard until regulation catches up with tech developments. Adebayo says for now, many startups are operating in grey areas. On the other hand, because it's healthcare and it's a regulated space, um, there are regulators for everything. Pharmacy industry has its own regulated set of regulators. Medical industry, dental, lab, they all have their own set of um, um, regulators um, who are usually working with sort of archaic um, rule or laws that was handed over by colonial um, era administrators. So um, there is the importance, and many of those colonial laws um, sort of did not take into cognizance healthcare that is driven by the private sector. You know, so in many instances, you find that the private sector or the entrepreneurial groups are tending to operate in gray areas. Um, for example, for many years, it was before the policy on um, digital pharmacy came up in Nigeria. Uh, many of the entrepreneurs who first started with digitizing pharmacies and selling online were operating in the gray area for many years before the regulators caught up with them. And so this tends to be the situation that you have the entrepreneurial class innovating, coming up with new solutions. They don't, they're usually operating outside the ambit of the law. The only thing that saves them is that they have a, they built, they have built a relationship with the regulators that avoids them um, being prosecuted for um, out of regulatory practice, you know, and I would say, just given that um, the innovation moves faster than regulation, it is very important for entrepreneurs to engage proactively with uh, regulators, you know, um, because they would always be a step ahead of them, and in many instances, they are the ones that have the um, the responsibility to educate uh, the regulator about what it is they are building, how it ties within the, how it fits within the current laws, and how the laws can be extended to um, to allow for it to work. Uh, what potentially are the risks that come out from it, and how to solve for it? So that's something that entrepreneurs need to be proactively driving. Vitally, African governments are actually keen to help and are adopting startup solutions. Typically, when, when you, you know, if, if you engage with anybody in the, in the technology ecosystem broadly across the continent, or maybe not somebody who's involved, just an enthusiast, and you ask them what they think about um, government interest in working with innovators, I think the more likely answer you'd get is perhaps that government appears to be adversarial, or that government is not interested in you know, working with them or adopting those solutions. But one thing we're seeing with our research this year is there's actual and growing evidence of governments 
interested in working with these innovators. And with health, it's a bit unique. So um, with regard to financial services, the relationship between government and, and the startups in that area is probably going to be simply regulatory. But with health beyond regulatory, there there might be opportunities for governments, agencies, or subnational governments to actually adopt and use the solutions for public health facilities, for example. And in our research this year, we, we, we tracked and found nearly 50 partnerships that appear to have been established between, um, you know, innovators and governments to provide these governments with tech and enabled supply chain solutions. And we engaged with, you know, key government officials across several countries just to gauge their interest, you know, first as to what where their own interest lies in working with innovators, and then also um, gauge their their the general feel based on their familiarity with other government agencies. And the overwhelming feedback that came back to us is there's a lot of interest from governments in working with and adopting solutions by supply chain innovators across the continent. Because ultimately, leveraging the solutions will make, you know, uh, can, can translate into benefits as well for, for public health supply chains. And, and in a few examples or a few instances here, um, again, the MaishaMeds example is is key. MaishaMeds is working with three county governments in Kenya, um, leveraging their inventory management software at those public facilities. And, and the, 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 the benefit that that's translating to is that there's better management of stock at those, at those public health facilities. There's far less waste at those, at those public health facilities. And, um, you know, there are far less losses due to, say, expired medicines. And that's just one example. There are multiple examples where governments are essentially looking to order, uh, to, to adopt uh, innovators that are offering innovations that we we fit into a category called order and inventory management. As the name implies, the innovators in that category essentially enable whoever is using that solution to better manage their inventory and then also to um, easy, more easily and more efficiently order inventory. And so the solution here primarily would be a digital marketplace solution or an inventory management tool. And we see that there's real interest from government officials or government agencies in adopting that that solution or that subset of solutions at public health facilities. And that's something to be super excited about because it would mean that at public health facilities, there's greater access to quality products. And more importantly, there's greater management of the products that are in-house as well, cutting out you know long running and really significant problems like um, waste, which is a big theme when you're working in any government circle. So we do see a lot of partnerships in here. Like I said, as many as uh, nearly 50 um, across 12 African countries at national government levels and also at sub-national government levels or um, with government agencies. There are many ways in which government can be helpful to tech startups, says Henry Mascott, co-founder and CEO at Nigerian startup Curacell which creates APIs that enable insurers to connect with digital distribution channels and to administer their claims cost-effectively. Whilst there is, um, you know, private, you know, insurance schemes and like health insurance and stuff like that, there is still a huge place for like government involvement in either subsidizing the private sector or just creating like um, schemes, right? So, um, So if we agree that like this is a big social problem, um, and then you know, start to you know agree that stakeholders within that um, the public and social ecosystem also have a part to play. So um, whether that is governments um, deploying like federal schemes and state schemes, um, you know, because when you look at like Europe, you know, most European companies, most European countries 
um, have um, state-driven schemes. Level of cooperation between government and startups vary across the continent, and many challenges remain when it comes to working with governments. Yeah, I would say, yeah, obviously, governments change. Um, you know, it's like they come and go, and then obviously the priorities kind of like move around a bit. Um, I think that um, it depends, right? So if uh, in, see we operate across multiple markets, there are different behaviors across all these markets that we are operating. Um, I would say that we have seen in definitely in, in some markets um, the political will. Um, but again, from where we sit, you know, the... The, the players, the private sector players are the experts. So um, it's obviously figuring out a way for government to work with the experts, right? Um, either in deploying, figuring out what's the right technology, deploying it. Because obviously what, what happens really, the kind of like the things we see is like you have a government come in, um, there is some will, either wherever that will is driven from, driven by actual need to create value or like, you know, a way to make a buck. And then they you have projects, um, approved and then those projects run and then there's a lot of money is deployed and then at some point it stops and then you don't see um, a lot of value, right? So I, I think that, yes, we have seen in some markets, governments willing to like um, go to private sector because I think the most effective ones we've seen is like when governments go to private sector players that have been successful in the private sector and they say, okay, cool, let's bring those innovations and find a way to, we are the government, we can subsidize this, we can get it to scale. That's what we've seen to be most effective. But what other types of support are on hand? One benefit of being a health tech venture is access to grant funding and other types of non-equity support. Here's Yomi. There are a lot of startups that are doing great work that might be considered just purely commercial. Um, and then within the context of within the context of health, it's you know, startups are doing work that while clearly commercial also has really clear and significant social impact. And so I think that the significance of the social impact that they have um, is what translates into what you might you know call more benefits like increased access to grants compared of course to other um, to 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 other technology ecosystems or, or sectors. Adebayo says grant funding has been critical to the development of the health space in Africa. That's the only reason why we have e-health startups today. If there was no grants or um, non-profit funding, there's hardly any e-health company that would exist. Right? Because for most e-health companies, how they get their first round of funding is really through those grants. How many of them continue to sustain themselves is through those grants. Um, there's hardly any funding coming to most of the companies in healthcare. And in fact, if you look at the funding that's coming to healthcare, it comes to only a handful of companies within healthcare. So sometimes we tend to say, oh, that it's grown to 15% or 20% of total funding, but we forget that it's only a reflection of the concentration of funding to a few companies in the space. So the vast majority of the health companies are actually not VC funded. Um, they survive through grant funding, um, through um, NGOs supporting them, through donors, um, and those sort of relationships. Yet there are both positives and negatives when it comes to donor funding. There are pros and cons of a donor funded um, system, you know, um, the pros, obviously, is that um, it's non-dilutive. So if the platform really takes up, or I think most of them tend to be non-dilutive. I've seen 
some grants these days that also have some convertible element in them further down the line, but most of them tend to be non-dilutive. And I think that's a win for the founders because if the platforms do take off, um, they tend to own more of the business than their counterparts. And so they can create the wealth that they're looking for in that way. Um, some of the partnerships with international nonprofits also gives them access to receive and share data um, across multiple markets. Uh, also gives them market access because many of these um, foundations and the like are working across Africa and working in other parts of the world as well. So if they find a platform that is useful for the operations, it gives them a, the founder means to use them to get into more markets at zero or marginal cost increase. Henry preaches the need for sustainable models. It's always better to find models that are um, that are sustainable, right? You know, and so it's figuring out how can we incentivize private sector players um, to find sustainable models. Because what we see is some of those initiatives um, just lack the 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 um, the sustainability that is required to be able to long term. Um, you know, create the value that that that, which, that, that is required, right? So these schemes, um, you see programs, they come and they run like a few years and there are lots of grants. Um, some value is created, um, but maybe not in a very sustainable way. What is clear is that there's need for more venture capital funding for Africa's growing e-health space. You can approximate that Health, health technology startups and ecosystems across Africa will probably get about, you know, 10% or just under 10% um, on an annual basis, which obviously, you know, in, in the wider context of how much money is coming into the space isn't, isn't enough or uh, is much less than other sectors. Health funding has dipped following a COVID-sparked wave in 2020. And it may only get worse now, given the global reset. Post-COVID, you know, the, the trend suggests that first there's been a leveling out, but also as well, uh, there's been a bit of a decline. So um, at Salient Advisory, we also specifically track um, funding for health tech innovators on the continent. And, you know, compared to 2021, uh, we, we recorded a decline of more than 57%, of about 57% compared to what the numbers were in 2021. Um, it'd be interesting to see how the rest of the year pans out. Um, and indeed how, you know, follow-on years might, might, might turn out to be. But what's clear is that the, <clears throat> the effect of COVID, if you like, but in terms of not just investment, but also innovators coming into the space, that's starting to, I think the word might be wear off. Part of the problem the e-health sector has from a venture capital perspective is that there aren't yet that many success stories to drive VC interest. So, yeah, so historically speaking, right, um, healthcare hasn't really gotten a lot of... Um, a lot of love from from venture capitalists, right? So, especially on the continent, um, you know, there is um. So there's definitely that lack. There's definitely that gap in terms of like, um, you know, the the the, the capital that is required to skill um, within the space. Um, but it's also because like obviously venture capitalists, uh, like you said, they're capitalists. They're also looking for. Um, they're looking for models that can let them exit um, and exit like, you know, 100x multiples in, 
in a decade or, or slightly less. Um, and so I guess the question um, that has been in their mind is really like, cool, like, have we seen success stories? Um, and, and obviously this venture capital ecosystem is underwritten mostly by, um, you know, by some sort of data of like being able to return capital within the, the, the required horizon. Um, and this isn't just a healthcare thing. Historically speaking on the continent, really, um, there's, there hasn't been a ton of data around the return profile um, for, for startups within the continent. Um, and so in the last two to three years, um, obviously there was um, a lot more capital going into the startup ecosystem because we saw a few exits um, for the first time, right? Some multiple exits that show those guys, okay, cool. Um, you know, we can return capital. We can make quite a bit of money um, if we invest in these markets. Um, I, I think, yes, that there is, there is some validation that, that, hey, African companies, emerging market companies can return the sort of profile um, that, are visible also like in the US, Europe, and like in, in the Far East. Um, and I think in healthcare, when it comes to healthcare, I think obviously not all industries have proven this return profile. And then healthcare is kind of like one of those ones that are, that is, so fintech, you know, historically speaking, in the past few years has gotten a lot of love because like some of the exits that we've recorded have come from that space. Um, and so we're kind of like getting there. There are quite a few. Um, health tech companies, um, you know, with phenomenal founders that have been able to like um, get the business over a certain line um, that of course, like we know that there will be some success story coming from that. The opportunity is large, however, and Adebayo wants the VC world to step up to power Africa's healthcare revolution. Venture capital and third party um, foundations need to do more to actually finance um, health tech founders. Uh, I think right now there's a lot of focus on accelerators that provide kind of um, um, investment readiness training versus actually investing in these startups, you know, that are making a difference. Uh, so if you compare the kind of funding flows on, on the continent, most of it goes to fintech. Um, and health tech is just like sort of the forgotten son um, who is on the side and gets nothing. So I think more can be done um, in terms of like um, increasing investment inflows into um, companies that are trying to use tech uh, technology to enable players in the space. funding and government assistance needed then if African e-health startups are to scale their solutions effectively and assist in increasing the access to and affordability of healthcare on the continent. Many thanks to Salient Advisory, Curacell and RxAll for their thoughts and for making this series possible. We'll be back again next week to discuss what the future of e-health in Africa looks like. Thanks for listening. Bye.